Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Halcyon, the book of Pyman, is a fantasy horror podcast inspired by historical events and characters. This work of fiction was designed, developed, and produced by a multicultural team of various religious faiths and beliefs. Professor Pyman lives in a dangerous world, and his story contains themes of violence, gore, adult situations, and language. Listener discretion is advised. Ugh, the rituals. It's like they've been lost to time. Professor, I can't get the stone to show me anything, even with my second sight, even with the power of the eyes. Please, don't be angry. <sighs> it's not your fault, Amaranth. These are ancient things. The smoking mirrors are rare. This could very well be the last of them. I once thought them lost altogether. But I know where we could find the texts, the rituals. Then we could finish our work. Tell me, my dear Amaranth. Can you get a clear vision on who attacked our Miss Calliope? Her harrowing ordeal weighs very heavily on my mind these days. Sir, I think you already know. I can feel a strange energy here in the city. An energy I've never felt before. I can't be sure without getting close, but I've had a premonition. Brother? Sir, do you have a brother? I, I keep seeing a shadow, and he calls you brother. No one has called me their brother in a very long time. <sighs> I'm sorry, Amaranth. There's so much more to this than I can briefly explain. Thank you. Thank you, Amaranth. I know what must be done now.
Chapter 6 The Ark of the Covenant Even though the pond by the professor's wagon made Clypey shiver, she nonetheless accompanied Gideon to fetch Vilha from her nightly swim. The mermaid was already perched on the beach, idly splashing the murky water with her tail when they arrived. The full moon rode high in the sky, casting an eerie glow to the already iridescent woman who sat waiting for them. The weather is going to turn soon. I can feel it in the water. Is it true that the circus closes through the winter? What does everyone do? Well, some of us stay here. Some of us head south. The professor prefers to keep us on the road, so most of our folk travel or spend the winters in New Orleans. Up you go, Vilha. The mermaid allowed herself to be lifted, looking much like the catch of the day as she rested in Gideon's tree trunk arms. She held out a hand, and Gideon fished her cigarette case out of his shirt pocket, along with a book of matches. And she lit a cigarette, blowing smoke over his shoulder while looking at Calliope with hazy blue eyes. Calliope smiled back, still pondering the mystery of Vilha. I'm not fond of the bayou, but at least the water is warm. We've been going for many years now. The professor feels an affinity for the city. Something there calls to him. I've never been farther south than Pennsylvania. At least not that I can remember. The thought just struck me now. I'll be going with you. There's so many things I've never seen. Traveling has always been one of my dreams. Uh, life on the road is not so glamorous. The horses, they stink. And the road is full of holes. But... We're usually met with some kind of adventure on the road. Best be prepared, Miss Calliope. I've had enough adventure for one week, thank you. Does anyone stay behind? Usually, Sydney does not accompany us until much later. He stays back until the new year and gets himself into trouble on his own. Della says the professor is still fuming about the elephant. <laughs> oh dear, well, she is impressive, but I imagine quite a lot to care for. And will she come with us on the road? I can't imagine a caravan to Louisiana with an elephant in tow. As they wandered through the camp towards the sideshow alley and Halcyon tent, a gangly shape unfolded by one of the fires and stepped into the moonlight. Did I hear my name? Oh, how are you feeling, Calliope? How's your head? Calliope's hand automatically brushed the tender area on her scalp, feeling the tiny knots of Siobhan's careful handiwork. Calliope winced and looked over to the contortionist, who had fallen in step with the rest of the group. The professor told us not to tell anyone about it. How did you know? I feel so stupid. Like I should have known something, or someone was... I know it's hard not to feel that way, but how could you have known? You're safe now. That's what matters. The professor's hopping mad, and I know he won't let this stand. You'll find he's very protective. Della put her arms around Calliope as the procession made its way through the camp, then tossed her head back in Gideon's direction. The strong man, who had barely let Calliope out of his sight for the last two days, cleared his throat, and Della quickly changed the subject. Bilha, I'm glad you're back. 
It's just about time for our card game. Hesty has been on a winning streak lately and has been impossible to live with. Tonight's my night. I can feel it. Will you join us, Calliope? Does she have a mark on her jacket? Don't you dare try to swindle her. Oh, Gideon, I would never. But we'll teach you how to play, Calliope. We just play for buttons anyway. Stop being such a mother hen, Gideon. You're worse than Siobhan. Honestly, we'll take good care of her. Della linked Calliope's arm in her own, marching her away from Gideon and the mermaid, ahead to the dark outline of the halcyon sideshow tent. The sounds of laughter reached Calliope's ears, and the canvas parted to the scene of Amaranth, Chiffon, Hestia, with Sylvan and Guillermo. Cards and buttons were already piled by Vilha's waiting tub. Calliope smiled at these strange but wonderful people. Her new family? The ache on the top of her head reminded her that there were still so many unanswered questions and so many things she still needed to find out. As she moved forward to join the group, a hush suddenly fell over the tent's occupants. Clypey turned and nearly ran into her uncle, still dressed to the nines from the matinee. He held a folded sheet of paper in his hand. Calliope, I've been searching all over this blasted camp. You should be resting. What are you doing out of your tent? I felt well enough to go for a walk. Gideon and Vilha were looking after me. Please don't worry, Uncle Sidney. Siobhan says I'll mend. I know the professor is... Making me his errand boy. That's what. Like I have time to deliver these messages all over the place. Me. But anyway, he said this must get into your hands tonight. And so it has. Good night, dear niece. Do go back to bed. The professor was most insistent that you be in the best possible shape for tomorrow. So, I bid you adieu. Gideon, make sure she gets back to her tent. With as much flourish as he could muster, Sidney parted the entrance to the halcyon tent and strode with an army's worth of self-importance into the dark thoroughfare. Gideon, having just walked in with Villa still perched in his arms, stopped short as Clypey unfolded the professor's missive. A single tear ran down the girl's cheek, and she shook just a bit where she stood. Gideon quickly shifted Villa and reached out to steady her. What is it? Miss Clypey? It's... It's Dr. Grisham. He's... I mean, his body. It's coming back to New York. On a steamer that's set to arrive tomorrow morning. Oh, Gideon. I don't know what to do. I'm sure the professor has it well in hand. He wouldn't have sent you that notice just to worry you. Come along now. Let me get Vilha settled in, and then I'll walk you home. Perhaps Sydney was right about one thing. You do need your rest. Calliope stood with the two men, not yet ready to move on, trying to further collect herself in the moments of 
awkward silence. It had been three days since her incident, and she was no closer to any answers about who wanted her dead. The professor. All signs pointed to him. Yet, all signs pointed away. He'd been at the matinee when she was attacked, at least according to Siobhan and Gideon. Though they were fiercely loyal to the professor, they had been kind to her too, and taking care of her. And the night of the Edgerton's party, the professor and Andrew Whittington Andrew Whittington's shady business dealings were no secret to the constabulary. So when the authorities came around to the circus the next day, they spoke to her for all of about 30 seconds. The charismatic professor had already given his statement. It was dark. Calliope must have stepped out just after the bandits attacked. Poor girl, she's been through so much recently. The surly patrolman looked at Calliope piteously and didn't even bother to get out his notebook. Women make terrible witnesses, he'd said, rolling his eyes. What with their delicate constitutions? Why, she'd probably swooned at the first sign of violence. While Calliope, face red and eyes wide, was more than anxious to correct the constable, she paused. What else was she really going to say? What was the professor doing before Andrew had fallen? Was it a trick of the storm? The flash of light? She continued to flip through possible explanations when Uncle Sidney, who had been pacing and huffing around the dock, could keep quiet no longer. Where is the ship now, Professor? The St. Lucius. 8.30, you said. Oh, don't you worry. It will be long. Put your... F Put your watch away. And calm yourself, man. For God's sake, be a comfort to your niece. I told you I've already arranged for a carriage to the plot at Gravesend. Thank you, Professor. With Mrs. Porter gone these last two years, I'm afraid there's no one else to settle Dr. Grisham's affairs. And the letter from Scotland Yard said there haven't been any arrests. Do you think the murderer has fled? Maybe here? like Luella seemed to think at the party? I do think it's a possibility, my dear. Though, it's hard to know for certain. But yet, I wonder... At last! There! The steamship chugged into port a little way down from where the trio stood. The professor strode up to talk with the man at the dock, while Sydney sent the waiting carriage in his direction. Calliope saw the professor press a few bills into the dock worker's hand, and several minutes later, a somber procession made its way down the gangplank. The trio rode in silence back uptown. Calliope's head ached with each jolt of the carriage, and she felt dizzy by the time they reached the cemetery. Sure enough, a plot had already been dug out, and the professor presided over the lowering of the coffin. Would you like to say a few words for him, my dear? Sometimes it seems like just a dream to never be going back to the brownstone, or to never wonder where you might be off to next, Dr. Grisham. There's a lot I didn't know about you. 
but I know you kept me well and you kept me safe. And for that, I thank you. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at Burrow.com slash ACAST. That's Burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Well, with that unpleasant business done, won't you join us for a cup of tea? Uncle Sidney's invitation pulled her from her own thoughts, and she was conscious once again of the two men staring at her expectantly. They'd just arrived back at Halcyon, and Pyman gestured towards a small path behind a row of gaming booths, where straggling patrons still handed over their nickels and dimes for chance at a prize. Luminaries were scattered across the way, lighting the dim alley since the sun had disappeared below the horizon, leaving a few vestiges of blue-gray streaks in a faded sky. The professor's shadow stretched out in a pantomime of his walk against the canvas and wooden structures, exaggerating his movements and the silhouette of his very distinctive walking stick a carving of a menacing creature perched on top. Clippy made a note to get a closer look at it, but then second-guessed that idea upon reaching their destination. Her breath caught in her throat, recalling the events of the last time she had visited this place. A very large wagon, intricately painted in reds and golds with a bold black script that read, Professor Pyman, peddler of the peculiar persons, rested before them, and Pyman deftly unlocked the sturdy door before disappearing into darkness. Seconds later, several flames flickered and sprang to life inside the small room, and he called for Sidney and Calliope to enter and make themselves comfortable while he started on refreshments. The room smelled of a mixture of tobacco, ancient books, old leather, and Darjeeling. Clippy gawked once again at the shelves of bizarre statues, elaborate tomes, and artifacts. There were crystals, some polished like looking glasses, and every color one could imagine. She saw things in jars animals, plants, and other strange objects. Was that an ear? What had become of its owner? And the last time she was here, she had sworn there had been a pair of eyes. Missing eyes. Like Dr. Grisham and the other man. And how are you feeling, dear Calliope? Much better. Thank you, sir. I assure you, my dear, I am taking this matter very seriously. We cannot have prowlers and ne'er-do-wells roving about our inner sanctums, can we? Gideon has been asking questions around town, and I am confident we shall find out the motive of your attacker. 
though my assumption was that you stumbled upon an attempted burglary. Calliope shuddered at the memory of the attack. She felt herself flinch as she stood by the shelves, and she felt the weight of Pyman's eyes. He was watching her. Why did she get the feeling he was always watching her? She scanned the shelves. Uh, Ironically enough, she thought for the extra set of eyes. She was sure she had seen them. Sydney joined Calliope in her examination of the wagon's contents, sneaking up behind her, silent as a cat. While his niece kept her hands clasped behind her back, Sydney seemed drawn to the items around him like a moth to the flame. His long fingers brushed against the spines of leather-bound books, odd volumes with a musty smell and odd symbols. Sydney picked up several objects, most of which Calliope couldn't identify, and quickly put them down. Pyman's eyes flicked up from the desk periodically, and he sighed when Sydney's roaming hands curled around what appeared to be a rather ancient clay jar and lifted it from its resting place. Sydney, if you wouldn't mind. You have so many fun little curios in here, Professor. Don't fret. I promise I'll be very careful. Ooh. I've never seen this in the show. I dare say it warrants further inspection. I wish you wouldn't. Sydney, didn't we have a discussion on just this subject earlier this week? Sydney snorted and replaced the object in question. Moving on to light on one of the two chairs cramped in front of where the professor sat. But not before picking up and putting down about a half dozen other things. Finally, he settled on a simple looking chalice. Calliope could swear it hummed and emitted a faint glow as her uncle turned it around in front of his face. Sydney. Please, put that down. What is it, anyway? Do you drink gin and tonics out of it? Ah! <laughs> uh, some might call it the Holy Grail. <laughs> is that... Is that what you tell the rubes when they come to your side of the alley? (laughs) Oh, Professor, you are a pip. Isn't he just a cut-up, my dear Calliope? Calliope smiled weakly, (laughs) having suddenly caught sight of a human head, but one of much smaller proportions. Its eyes and mouth were sewn shut by thick black thread and it hung by its hair on a hook near the tea kettle as if overseeing the business at hand Mm. do have a seat Miss Calliope Pyman gestured to the empty chair near Sydney and busied himself pouring tea into three finely made china cups He pushed two over to his guests and raised his own steaming cup to his lips. Sidney merely pushed his aside, seemingly anxious to get to the heart of the matter. It would appear, now that I have found you, that we have a few matters to clear up. From when my only brother Silas, God rest his soul, was part of this little enterprise so many years ago. Uh, Uncle Sidney, I'm sorry if there's been a, a misunderstanding. Father didn't have much money, 
Everything he had, he left to me. And it's been enough to cover my schooling and help, or, well, helped Dr. Grishop with my upkeep. But it is by no means a fortune. I'm going to have to make my own way. I can't pay for any- Oh, no, 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 my dear. <laughs> you misunderstand me completely. You see, my dear brother Silas, your father, he still had some interest in the circus when he left. What I owe him, well, it's been due for a long time, my dear. Now, I just want to make sure you receive everything he had coming to him. It's only fair. He now gestured to the desk and to a pen, which was resting near Calliope, at the edge of the professor's dark green blotter. Calliope's mouth hung open for a few seconds before she had the presence of mind to speak. So, I'm, I'm to get an inheritance then? Something very like that. I know that my esteemed colleague has told you that we would be most pleased if you would decide to join us. And now, you must understand that in doing so, that you would become my partner as well. Partner? Yes. Your father. Well, our contract was left open. So, there is a place for you here, if you want it. But I need to know that you are serious. Willing to sign on the dotted line, as it were. And you would remain here. Under my protection. The professor slid the document across to her, and she struggled to lift it away from where it rested. Finally, she was able to get a thumbnail under a corner and separate the piece of paper from the desk. Written in an intricate, swooping calligraphy, this contract was more like artwork than a legal document. The contents seemed to be a mixture of strange symbols and words. The edges of the thick paper, or was it parchment, were leafed in gold and decorated with ink of red and rusty hues, like the colors of fresh and dried blood. Calliope swallowed hard. It's, it's very difficult to read. Calliope was feeling a little embarrassed. She had gone to several very good schools and also devoured novels like a hungry wolf. But the paper and words before her were confusing at best. Perhaps she should have a solicitor? Was it too late to ask for something like that? As if reading her thoughts, or maybe just the fact that her misgivings were probably plain on her face, the professor reached across the desk and took her hand. You are at a crossroads in your life, my dear. It's very plain to see. It could be said that I'm quite familiar with Crossroads myself. So, you've helped a lot of people through difficult decisions then, Professor? Hmm. Something like that, yes. It was all she could do to keep from shaking while her eyes roved over the fanciful script. She made out the words 
equal partnership and sharing of profits, along with fancy words like perpetuity and ad infinitum. Sydney was waiting by her side as she read, or in some cases, pretended to read, like a dog hoping for scraps from the table. His breath made the page quiver, and she traced a line of text here or there, trying to decipher the meaning of all the words as they were strung together. Hmm. What does this mean? No governing law under heaven. Standard phrasing. It means that this contract is not subject to any outside laws. Not church. Not state. Our partnership is merely governed by the terms of the contract itself. Oh. Come along, then. You and I are family. Do you honestly think I'd try to cheat you? I've searched for you and for my dear brother all these years so that you could take your place here and be where you belong. At the risk of sounding dramatic, this is your destiny. Since the day you were born. Why? I can't even begin to tell you how full my heart is having you here next to me. Calliope took a deep breath and set the paper back down on the desk. Both Sydney and the professor had eyes on her and the silence hung around them like an uneasy haze. Could she refuse? Did she even want to? At least, being with a circus meant that she would never be alone. She imagined her life alone, filled with a near unbearable solitude. She had contemplated the idea of staying in one place and finally putting down roots. But would it really suit her? And the circus was in her blood. True, she was spellbound by this chaotic, mysterious, and beautiful show. And the people in it. Now was her chance to truly be a part of something. Calliope looked first at her uncle. And then the professor. Will you do something for me first? Will you please tell me about my parents? Why did they leave? Why did father hide me away from you? If I may be so bold, young lady, we are offering you a place where you will always be cared for and you will be surrounded by those who are loyal to you. You will want for nothing. And you'll never be alone. But I just need to know. There are so many things that I don't understand. And there are things that are beyond all human understanding. Things you aren't meant to know. At least not yet. The memory blossomed in the professor's mind, despite his initiatives to suppress it. The girl looked so much like her mother. It had been years ago, but picture it clearly. After all, what were 18 years? to Professor Pyman. Enda Calibus hauled an empty basket against her bulging belly and carefully picked her way outside to take in the laundry and, of course, visit the privy for the upteenth time that day. 
upon taking down the last of the clean sheets, she turned for the door, but froze as the long shadow of a man, topped with a bowler hat, stretched across her path. He bowed politely, a stiff, curt bow, as if any further ceremony would delay an urgent business. A newspaper was tucked under his arm, folded against an impeccable dark suit and shined shoes. He looked as if he had just emerged from an opera house, not navigated the dusty streets of the city. They stood like statues for several moments, just regarding one another, until the visitor leaned on his walking stick and inclined his head. Mrs. Calibus. Enda nodded wordlessly, clutching the laundry at her side. She kept his gaze, then finally broke the silence. Professor Pyman? It's been some time, sir. I wonder if I might have a word with your husband. Is he home on this fine day? He's still at work, and will be for some time. So, sir, if you'll excuse- No bother. Hyman smiled. He took a step toward her, and Enda instinctively stepped back. Hyman smiled wider and stretched out his hands, coming closer. Enda froze and made no objection, and he plucked the laundry basket from her arms and nodded towards the door. Please, allow me to assist you. A woman in your condition shouldn't be subject to such... burdens. Thank you. Professor, but you needn't bother. One of the neighbors will help. Enda felt a sudden gripping pain in her abdomen, and her legs nearly went out from underneath her. Hyman sat down the washing and offered her an arm. She strained up as the discomfort passed. Catching her breath, as the tension left her midsection. Oh dear. It looks as though I've arrived at just the perfect time. We must get you inside. He ushered the pregnant woman slowly up the stairs, allowing her to lean <laughs> on it as she lumbered to her door. Why have you come then, Professor Pyman? Why, I've only come to claim what was promised to me, dear lady. Nothing more, and nothing less. <laughs> you needn't worry for your safety. Hyman opened the door to the apartment where Silas and Enda had been living, far away from the circus and waited for her to step inside. He laid the newspaper down on the table and escorted her to the sofa. She dropped onto the cushions with a gasp and wrapped her arms across her stomach. And what... What were you promised? <sighs> Enda stood up faster than she would have thought possible, crying out as a stream of liquid coursed over her legs, leaving a puddle on the floor. She started back towards the sofa, but quickly found herself unable to move any farther. She sank onto the rug, catching herself on the edge of a side table. Pyman gestured towards her seizing belly. No. No. You will not take this child 
husband made an agreement, my dear. Well, perhaps his brother did it on his behalf, and then, oh, our dear Silas ran away. Bad form, you know. I haven't the time to waste on all this hunting. Enda screamed as another contraction hit her with full force, rendering her unable to do anything but endure the pain. Something wasn't right. The birth was going to be difficult, and they both seemed to realize it at the same time. Hyman made another tisky noise, and as though she weighed nothing, gathered Enda up and carried her to the bedroom. She had no strength to protest as he gently laid her down on the quilt. Blood began to soak the bedding between her legs, and her frantic eyes found the professor's. What if I made you? Another offer. (sighs) Would you consider it? Hyman cocked his head ever so slightly and removed his hat, as if suddenly remembering it was the civil thing to do. She was so pale now. There was no time to waste. Enda reached trembling hand towards the professor. I'm listening, Mrs. Calibus. As the memory faded away, the visage of the girl, all these years later, swam into focus, and the professor lined the tips of his long fingers together, thumbs at his lips. He took a beat before picking up the pen and turning to Calliope. There are things that will be revealed to you. In due course, young lady. I must impress upon you that there is more to tell than we could manage in one sitting. If I stay, you'll tell me. You'll tell me. Won't you? In due course. At times I will choose. But I will. I will tell you everything. The scenes flashed in quick succession. A moving picture show in Calliope's mind. The newspaper photograph of Dr. Grisham lying dead on the church floor in London. The professor's shadow and fiery eyes. Gideon's handsome face. The beautiful twins and all the others who had been so kind to her. If she left here, there would be no one else. If she stayed, the chance of a family, of belonging. Her hands were shaking. She looked to Sydney, then up at Pyman, who offered the pen and gestured to the signature line. Without another moment of hesitation, Clypey drew herself up, grabbed the pen, and signed her name.
Halcyon, the Book of Pymen, is an original work of fiction written by Shannon Lynn and James Gray, produced by Jared Huffaker, and supported by our family of other Pacific Northwest creators. Our outro song, Nostalgia, was graciously provided by Paul from the band Cicero. Links to their music can be found in our show notes and on our website. All episodes are available wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. New episodes are released bi-weekly on Wednesdays. And Professor Pyman asks that you please rate, review, and subscribe. And follow us on all the social media platforms. Or visit us at halcyonpodcast.com for more information. It's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.